It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, hey, welcome to episode 29, the Joe Carter edition of the podcast. The man needs no introduction in Canadian sports lore as he caught the final out for the Blue Jays World Series title in 1992, but most memorably was just the second ever player to end the World Series with a walk-off home run the following year in 1993, something that will forever be etched in baseball history. Here's a pitch on the way, a swing and a belt, left field, way back, Blue Jays win it! The Blue Jays are World Series champions! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! My next guest is a huge Blue Jays fan, and she obviously wishes the current iteration, good word, of the club would reach that same pinnacle, but if I know her well, she doesn't love the current Blue Jays regime of Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, and will probably have some hot takes about their handling of the squad. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on a very special guest. She's a very talented broadcaster and sports center anchor on TSN. She also posts pictures of her delicious baking on Instagram for Wags Kitchen. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Kara Wagland. Thank you for having me. Uh, I guess before we get into your TSN career and, and uh, how you got on air... The photos of your baking, like I said, they just look scrumptious. Good word. Uh, is is every evening amazing food night uh, in the Wagland household? We we have a lot of really good food. I mean, it's either really like zero or sixty in my household. I either go like all the way out and make something like totally delicious from scratch and it's great, or it's craft dinner because <laughs> I either I either put the effort in or there's no effort whatsoever, and I'm the only one in the household that cooks. So if I don't cook. We're ordering pizza, basically. But yeah, there's lots of baked goods. The only downside during a pandemic is usually I bake something and we'll have a sample at home. And then I bring it into the newsroom for all the guys and girls in the newsroom to enjoy. And that way I avoid eating too much of the sweets. That's not the case right now in the pandemic. So Mm. I had to kind of stagger the baking a little bit because there was a little little too much baked goods hanging around the house. So (laughs) rather than putting on the COVID-15, I decided to lay off baking for a little bit. What's your favorite uh, thing to bake? Uh, I go in weird cycles where I kind of get on stints with things. So right now I'm loving like pies and tarts are a lot of fun. I just, I'm a big fan of when desserts look really pretty. Obviously I want them to taste really good as well, but um, I'm definitely like, I have a bit of an art background. So that's kind of a creative outlet for me is baking. So I love um, being able to make something look really pretty. And I, right now tarts and, and pies and that kind of thing are a lot of fun. My background is actually in cake decorating. I've done some courses and oh, really? used to have a little business on the side back in college, <laughs> but um, had to give that up. But yeah, that's where kind of I started getting into baking as I started making cakes and decorating them and doing them for people's birthdays and different special events and things like that. Um, and then I just got too busy with work to keep it going, but it's kind of become more of a hobby where you know, if I want to de-stress or have some me time, that's one way that I do it is just by baking. But I would say cheesecake is a big one for me. I like to try new things. So as I kind of get better and better at it, I like to challenge myself. So I started, you know, attempting things like creme brulee and tempting, you know, things that are a little more involved. And it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You try and learn something new as well. And it doesn't always turn out, but 
for the most part, they do. That's a great thing with baking. If you follow the recipe, for the most part, you'll be fine. <laughs> you would think so, but uh, art and uh, baking and cooking are definitely not my forte. So <laughs> I can only imagine if we did a show, for example, and you did your awesome uh, recipes, and then there was me doing it. Oh my god, it would just be a well, hilarity would ensue, and that's oh. what the people want to see. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a dumpster fire. Oh god, I remember I tried to make try to bake uh, cookies back in the day. Yeah, they were just uh, slightly uh, burned. It was uh, <laughs> it was not. not now were not these so good. were these from scratch cookies or were these like you pull the roll out of the fridge and you cut it and then in slices and put it in the oven? I think it was from scratch. Yeah, it was peanut okay. butter cookies, uh, I believe. Well, that's and, not uh, so bad. Oh, if you if you if you burnt those kind of cookies, <laughs> that's not from scratch. Cookies can be can be tricky. Ha, I don't know. I probably should try more, but uh, just uh, no. I, I feel like. Uh, to, to attempt it is it is a good thing i should actually be doing that during this pandemic and actually having a you know learning a new skill or two i guess would be would be yeah. a good thing obviously hey right? cooking is always good the ladies love a man who can cook i will say hmm. and the, uh, i'm kind of wondering why the ladies don't love me now i'm now i'm understanding <laughs> don't cook. it all comes there you from, go. It all makes sense uh yeah i mentioned obviously uh, you work a uh, anchor uh, tsn uh, tell us your career path for you to you to get on uh, air for tsn uh well it was a lot of years of volunteering um, I actually went to university. My undergrad was in criminal justice and public policy, and I'd always planned on being a lawyer and then graduated and was like, eh, I don't really want to do that anymore. I still love law, but Interesting, yeah. the, the path it would have taken me to get to where I wanted to be, it just wasn't a path I was looking to to take at that time. So I kind of took an about face and decided to go into journalism and went back to school and did a post-grad program. And then um, it was all volunteering from there. So as soon as I decided I wanted to be on air, um, it was either move out west to some remote little area or stay in the Toronto area. Um, I'm actually from Cambridge, so about an hour west of Toronto, um, and work for free and volunteer. So that's what I decided to do. And I volunteered for three years with our Rogers TV and Peel doing an OHL hockey show and then um, I volunteered with a station in Oshawa doing some reporting and you just kind of round out your resume. Like you look at what you haven't done yet and you try and add that to your resume. So I would go and approach people and ask to do things that I hadn't done before just to be able to get the experience and get it on my resume. And then while I was volunteering, um, this a guy that I went to J school with was working at TSN at the time and he kind of said, hey, why don't I pass your resume along? And I got hired on what we call the row, which is behind the scenes writing highlights mm. and things like that for the anchors. And that was the most fun job I've ever had to this date. Um, so fun doing it just that. doesn't feel, I mean, it can definitely be high stress when you're up against it and there's live television going and your packs coming up, but it's good stress. It's fun stress. Oh so. man, there's definitely times where it's like, <laughs> you, you know, the, the highlight pack is literally rendering it to be edited like as it's going to air. And I, I just, you know, it, I'm trying, I have a calm exterior, but in, inside my, my oh, nerves are churning. Sweaty. You're just oh, sweating. Don't yep. go to black. Don't go to black. Oh, you know. And at the same awful. time, if something does happen to your pack on air, there is no worse feeling. Oh. You just feel or that, like Or the phone garbage. call. The phone call. Yes, the phone, the call phone after starts the pack. ringing oh, in the newsroom and you know somebody did something wrong. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. Um, but no, I did that for three years while I was still volunteering. So I would kind of, I would work full-time on the row. I was a freelancer, but I would work full-time hours on the row and then volunteer one or two days a week getting on air reps. And then uh, I got hired. My first paid on air gig was at CTV Kitchener as their weekend sports anchor. And then I would fill in for vacation stuff during the week. So I would work Monday to Friday, 
at TSN. And then I would drive to Kitchener on weekends and work, you know, pretty well seven days a week for a while just to get the reps and get it done and keep kind of, because the second you stop getting reps when you want to be on air, you have nothing current to show people and you're not getting any better. And potential employers want to see that you're continuing to, to get better and to make yourself better and get your reps. And that was the only way to kind of get to where you wanted to get. So it was a lot of uh, hours for a while and driving and that sort of thing. But luckily I only ended up doing that for, I think about six months. And then it was just like the classic case of right place, right time. Like I had been badgering our bosses at TSN with audition tapes and for a while and had a few meetings and stuff. And I'll say they were always gracious about giving me their time to meet with me and look at my reels and give me their feedback. And then it was literally like all of a sudden I sent a reel in an updated reel and my boss was like, Oh, okay. And you could tell it was like, I, I kind of got over the hump and was able to, it was at a place where I was starting to impress him on air a little better. He's like, okay, I can see the potential here now. So I got an interview and got a audition and I ended up hosting the back end of Wimbledon, um, which at the time our coverage was pretty minimal. Um, we kind of just took you to and from matches And so I was still working on the row, but I contracted for a week to do that and then auditioned after that. And I was just really lucky that I had kind of gotten a chance to do something on air there. And then we got expanded to five feeds and they needed more hosts. So I was kind of right place, right time, had dipped my toe at the right time. And so I was on to one week I was working on the row and the next week I was on the desk. And I think I did 20 sports centers my first two weeks. I think I clocked in at, like I just (laughs) dove in, Mm -hmm. but it was the best way to kind of acclimate yourself. But man, there was such an easy transition as far as I can't even imagine you walking into a new newsroom where you don't know anyone, you don't know how the show works. You've never done the technical side. You haven't worked on the show before and having to jump in. I was so lucky um, to walk in and I already knew everyone in the newsroom. I had worked there for three years I already knew how the show was put together and, and done the technical, like the behind the scenes side of it. So it just made the transition so much easier. Oh, no, no doubt. And everyone there is just, they're awesome people. So it oh, yeah. obviously helped. How nervous were you for that uh, audition? Um, I wasn't really nervous for the auditions. Once I got into actually doing, I remember my first night, um, I was scheduled, I thought, Monday to Friday. So I went in Monday to do... I think it was the 1 a.m. I don't even remember now. It was one of the later shows. And I showed up and everyone looked at me like, what are you doing here? And I wasn't actually scheduled to work. (laughs) And I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. So (laughs) it was supposed to be Dutch and Muddy, Brian Mudrick. And Muddy was already there, but Dutch wasn't. So I'm like, well, I'm here anyway. You may as well just stay at home. So I quickly became Dutch's new favorite coworker. (laughs) Um, And then so then I did my first show with Muddy. And ended up doing like a whole whack of shows with him to start, which was awesome because he throws you in there and he's like, all right, kid, let's see what you can do. And was just awesome to work with. Um, But then that was kind of a little bit of nerves going into that because anytime you do something new, I feel like there's a little bit of nerves. Sure. Um, But then two weeks later, I got thrown into doing um, U.S. Open, which was the first time we had done a tennis control show for TSN. And that was like 15 days straight of, you know, 12 hour days solo hosted at something I'd never done before. So that I got really nervous for. That was probably the most nervous I've ever been 
in my time at TSN, but every time you do something new, it's like one more feather in your cap and you feel so much better about yourself and your ability. And then you move on and you get nervous for the next thing. But eventually like as the years go by, you get less and less nervous for, for things. Was there any uh, like welcome to the biz uh, rookie type of thing in terms of like, you know, either Mudrick or Dutchie or Rod Smith or any of these guys uh, sort of uh, you know, needling you uh, when you first started on air? I don't think so. The only thing I can remember is like Muddy is so fun. He's a good friend of mine now and he's so fun to work with. But there's he likes to kind of throw you curveballs and keep you on your toes, which when you're new can scare the living crap out of you. <laughs> so I remember like typically the way we order dual on cams when you're working with someone is whoever spoke last heading into the on cam starts the on cam. And then the, the other person takes it and goes into whatever the next item is. And so we were coming into a dual on cam and he had just finished reading a pack. So technically he should start the dual on cam. And he just turned and looked at me and said nothing. And it was like, oh, okay, I got to jump in. And, and that it was silence like, probably just felt like, you know, 10 years, even though it was probably oh, only it one second. Oh, it felt like right? an hour and it was probably <laughs> three seconds. But And then you just got to think of something to say and jump in. But, I mean, working with people like him makes you so much better, too, because he's so good at his job. I love him on Montreal Canadiens games. I, I, I can't stand the Habs at all. But uh, yeah. you know, Montreal, he, he honestly makes those games, uh, well, when the games were actually being played, a lot of fun to watch because uh, yes. you know he is he's excellent at that. Uh, well, you can tell he loves what he's doing, which yeah. is a huge part of it. Definitely, and uh, so obviously, Sports Center has been uh, doing shows from home for quite a while now. It's actually crazy how quickly uh, things have gone. It's about like eight, ten weeks or something like that already. Uh, is there any been any weird like technical technical glitches uh, with Wi-Fi and all that uh, that you've had to deal with? Um, I haven't been too bad. I've been really lucky. I still don't understand how we are getting shows up from home. Like I don't understand the technical side of it. It's just, it's a marvel to me, but we're doing it. So I think that's really cool. You know, uh, hats off to the people who are actually getting that done, but, um, it could be a little challenging sometime. Like I have a three-year-old running around, so I have to try and make sure, you know, you can't hear him and he's taken care of while I'm trying to tape something. And there's been a couple times where I've been taping a show and my dog will start barking during <laughs> on cam. And it's like, Oh, I'm going to do that again. Thanks Griffey. Um, Griffey. So there's a couple things like Griffey has the name of my dog. That's all I'm assuming. Obviously Ken Griffey Jr. Is Ken Griffey Jr. Nice, yeah. Yeah. Nice. We got him the same year he was inducted into the hall of fame. So it just seemed like the right thing to do. Perfect. Um, yeah, I haven't, I've been really lucky though. Like I haven't done any live shows from home. I can imagine that, that could potentially be more problematic, but I mean, you get the things where sometimes like you're taping a hit with an analyst and someone forgets to hit record on their camera. And so you got to do it again and little things like that, but nothing, nothing huge. And hopefully nothing that was embarrassing. and went to air. I certainly haven't heard about it on Twitter if it did. So, <laughs> Oh crap. I, I didn't uh, press record for this interview. Oh jeez, no. oh, <laughs> Damn it. Oh, we just wasted the first 10 minutes that were awesome. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, you, uh, do you have a most embarrassing moment on air or, and also on, on the flip side of that, uh, a proudest moment, uh, when you're on air? Um, most embarrassing. I mean, sometimes you just say things like you're, I'm definitely one of those people where if I'm not focused in the moment on what I'm saying, my brain will just go into autopilot and I'll just start rambling. And if I'm not paying attention, sometimes you don't realize what you've said. Like I've said stupid things on air where, like I think I said Manito or Winnipeg, Ontario once, which obviously I know Winnipeg's not in Ontario, but you know, when you're having one of those shows where things are kind of going off the rails and you're already thinking ahead to the next thing, sometimes your, your mouth goes its own direction. Um, I've definitely had a couple, I can't remember exactly what I said, 
but a couple of those moments where it was like a, that's what she said. And the producer will be like, do you want that to live? Or do you want to do that again? And sometimes I'm like, ah, let's do that again. But I like to push the boundary sometimes as my one am producer Griff will attest to. I like to kind of ride the line with comedy. So there's, there's always times where I can tell he's just steaming in the control room <laughs> and I'm just having fun. But for the most part, he lets it live, which is good. Um, as far as proud moments, um, I think the proud moments are also the most difficult ones because you kind of learn what you're made of kind of thing. And it's not always the easiest shows, but I would say I was in to do, I used to host the 5 p.m. Sports Center. So I was in the newsroom when Roy Halliday died oh, and he was one of my favorite athletes uh, of all time. Oh, and you know, so I'm a huge, yeah, I'm a huge baseball fan. And, and I remember our producer standing up and saying, uh, you know, an airplane just crashed. We don't know who was dro- flying it, but it was Roy Halliday's plane. And it was like, oh crap. And then literally five minutes later, I get a phone call. We need you up on set. And it's one of those moments where I'm, I'm somebody who I over-prepare for things. That's how I feel comfortable going into things is to over-prepare. And I may never look down at my notes, but just knowing they're there is like a security blanket for me. Sure. And it gives me the confidence. And to have to go up with no notes, no prep, like no, no lead in nothing. And I'm sitting up on set and they're like, okay, we're going to come up on air and I want you to throw down to the sheriff is speaking at a press conference. And I remember we came up really quick and I threw down to the sheriff and I was sitting on air live and I'll never forget the sheriff saying it was a friend. It was Roy Halliday. And I was like, Oh, and to have to hear that news, like obviously there are people who are far more affected by this tragedy than I was, but to have to hear that news while you're live on air. And then we went for three hours straight commercial free. Wow. And it was just no rundown. You are just talking and ad-libbing your way through it. And they're getting in your ear to let you know, okay, we have Cito Gaston on the line. Okay, we have Gord Ash on the line. Dirk Hayhurst is next. And they're just throwing guest after guest at you. That was like, if someone would have told me ahead of time, this is what your day is going to be like, I probably would have called in sick. Like, I I never would have thought that I could have gotten through that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of it, I remember like, asking someone to log me off my computer so I could go cry in the car because it was just so emotional and the adrenaline was so high to get through the show, but then you just crash afterward. And then the reality of, Oh my God, Roy Halliday died sets in and it's just, it's a lot all at once. And it, um, I would say it was one of my worst days at work, but it was also one of the days I'm most proud of um, just because I was able to get through that show with some, moniker of composure and i think i did a decent job of doing it like i hope i didn't i don't think i offended anybody and and you never know with those kind of obit shows it's so sensitive so you don't want to say the wrong thing and you want to set the right tone and it was a huge huge learning experience for me so i would say that's still the day in my memory when i look back i think about that day as a defining moment in my career no i i watched you during that show because obviously i was at work for that and obviously everyone was just super super sad and you definitely did a, a tremendous job for that did oh thank you did you watch the roy holiday uh, documentary uh, that came out a couple weeks ago i did yeah man it's uh i mean it, it just brings it all back like for me it brought back work that day like going through that show again and it's so tough like to shine the light i mean there was kind of whispers over the last year of of what was happening and the drug abuse and things like that. But no one really knew 
And then to watch the doc- documentary and to hear Brandy Halliday speak about it, it was like, oh my gosh, like you just never know what's going on with somebody. And that's such a huge lesson just overall. But it was a well, I, I enjoyed the documentary. Obviously it was done by a former TSNer, which is awesome. That's right. Mike Carroll, um, yeah. But it's, um, it was so well done. It was just, but it just brings back all the memories again. It's like, ah, man, yeah. tough I mean, to watch. Tragically, you know, he's going to pass away, but even though you're watching it and you know, that's the end result, it still, it still, you know, kicks you, uh, you know, in, in the gut pretty hard. And his wife, uh, Brandy, uh, Brandy, what an unbelievably strong woman. Like, Oh my I, gosh. I can't even imagine, you know, the, the magnitude of all that. And, and she was amazing. I can't imagine wanting to speak about that. Like she has, but the people that she'll probably reach and get through to who have similar problems or, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think it serves everybody better to know that perfect people aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, it's never a bad thing. So hopefully it helps somebody along the way. Yeah. And that documentary named, uh, imperfect and ESPN, uh, uh, just a, honestly, you have to watch that. It's it's really really good. How much are you missing baseball and going to Blue Jays games? I miss everything right now. Like I feel like it's just it's such a weird time to be living through. And I keep having conversations with people and feeling like I can't quite wrap my head around everything that's going on. And I don't feel like we will until we're about a year or a year and a half removed mm-hmm. from all of this and able sure. to look back and be like, what did we just live through? Because it just kind of all hit us at once. And I don't, I remember when Kobe Bryant died in the helicopter crash and everyone's talking about, Oh, 2020 sucks. Like 2020, what is going on? And we just had no idea how bad the year was about to get. And it just, I think it just hit us hard and not having sports as kind of that escape Mm -hmm. to deal with everything. And there's just, I mean, I often think I go back and forth because there's obviously very important issues right now that need to be dealt with. And there's change that needs to happen. And on one hand, I think that it's great that there's nothing else going on and that the pandemic happened at the right time because then all the focus is on the social and civil unrest in the States and in Canada and on the Black Lives Matter movement, which is great. And at the on the other hand, I constantly point to sports as something that brings people together and can solidify people and get people to kind of oversee their differences mm-hmm. and come together. And so... I'm kind of back and forth on it because obviously I would love to see sports come back for personal reasons and for all the people I work with who are affected right now and and just for the world. But at the same time, like I'm also a big believer of everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is kind of all happening at the same time for a reason so that hopefully we can affect some change here. But uh, I feel like I went off on a tangent there. Sports. Yes. I miss baseball. I miss basketball. Um, Thankfully, football is hopefully on its way back soon. Um, it's been great having PGA come back and uh, now Premier League started and uh, La Liga and like some of the obviously Bundesliga. Like it's great to have those little bits to hold on to in NASCAR. Um, and I think that other sports that don't necessarily get kind of widespread exposure in North America are getting a little more right now, which is kind of nice. I wish that baseball would have seized that opportunity yeah. to get eyes on them and to kind of own the summer. Uh, baseball is just a mess. Like it's hard to, I almost feel like if they are able to get something done and return in some fashion this season, that it'll just be a sham of a season. And what's the point? Um, on the other hand, I would love to just be able to watch a baseball game. I don't know how you quantify these seasons in the history books moving forward. I think certainly for the NHL playoffs, like if it's a team that was already going to be in the playoffs that wins the cup, I think people are fine with it. If, for example, yeah. the Montreal Canadiens win the Stanley Cup, uh, then then it becomes a because you know in the, in the strike shortened season when the Blackhawks won what was it twenty twelve 
No one, rem- no one, like the Blackhawks were a dynasty. No one remembers there's only a 48 game season. It's fine. Right. Everyone had the same playing field. But if Montreal, for example, hopefully that they don't, if they do yeah. happen to win the cup or something, that's only, I think, when people will say there's an asterisk. There's an Otherwise, asterisk. Otherwise, yeah. there, there isn't, I don't think. Yeah. And same thing, like, I look at, like, for baseball, if you're trying to compare stats and trying to quantify the season that way, like, you just, you can't. Like, the season's going to kind of just be a one off. So I look at it like all these rule changes that baseball is thinking of implementing, throw them all in there this year. Sure. You know, implement the universal DH, go to seven innings, put a pitch clock on, whatever you want to play and tinker with, just do it because this season just isn't going to matter to me. So you may as well see how it works in action and then go from there. But it'll be nice to be able to actually sit down and watch a live game. As much as I've enjoyed some of the replays, I'm kind of over the replays now and I'm ready to get back to real live sports. Yeah. No, those are great suggestions that you made for baseball. The, uh, the Jays obviously just uh, a few weeks ago drafted uh, Austin Martin. What do you think mm-hmm. of the, uh, the regime? Uh, I know when they started, obviously uh, uh, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, they uh, certainly <laughs> pretty much every uh, fan hated them. What do you think about the blue, what the blue Jays are doing? I kind of feel like, well, uh, given the fact they're a young team, this uh, if they ha- were to have to take a year off, it's okay. It's not like they're a veteran team that are all you know comprised of guys in their late thirties or something like that. Like they might actually be maybe even benefit from the extra year. Yeah, I don't mind. Like I think if if any team's in a good spot right now to miss a season or to have a, a shortened season, the Jays are there. Like they certainly. I don't. I mean, I know some people are saying they could have competed for a playoff spot this year, and they still might. I don't know that I'm quite there yet. Mm. I've always had a hard time with the Shapiro Atkins regime. I'm still not over a lot of the missteps that I think they've made over their tenure, but I do like the direction that the team is going with that said, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because I feel like every time they make a good step, they go out and make a poor one. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic. I kind of feel like Austin Martin kind of fell in their lap a little bit. No one was expecting him to fall to fifth. So that's great. You picked the be- potentially the best guy, from what I'm hearing, the best pure hitter in the draft because he fell in your lap. So I'm not really applauding them too much just yet. Let's see how they handle his career and how they develop him. Um, they got some arms kind of later in the draft, so I think that's good because they needed to, to get a few more arms in there. But um, I'm excited to see guys like Nate Pearson come up. I'm excited to see some of these guys that you've been reading about for a while now and actually get to see them in action, which will be great. But I still don't feel like the Jays are in a position to really compete for at least another couple years and we'll go from there. So I'm enjoying the young talent, but I don't really have high expectations for the team for at least another couple of years. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I've actually been thinking about what the Blue Jays will do because the year before Cleveland got really good, uh, it was with uh, Atkins and Shapiro and then mm-hmm. they left and then they would get, became really good. I feel perhaps if they were to leave in a year or two, then all <laughs> the of a sudden the same thing will happen. So I'm I'm predicting, and this is my great hot take prediction, that the GM and the and the manager for the Jays in a couple of years, Alex Anthopoulos and John Gibbons again. Oh. I don't know that Gibby comes back to Toronto. But the funny um, thing, everyone hated him the first time in around in Toronto. I think a lot of fans would love if he came back. It's kind of funny how he oh, changed the sure. narrative, right? I like Gibby. I think I think he's entertaining. He's I don't always like the way he managed the bullpen. I didn't think that was his forte, but um, there are certainly things that he's kind of an old school guy. I think that those kind of old school guys are quickly being phased out in baseball, and it's becoming a different ball game for managers. 
as far as Atkins and Shapiro when they leave. My concern is when the Jays get to the position where they're ready to compete and they need to go out and get a couple free agents um, or big name position players or arms to complement what they already have, their homegrown talent, in order to compete. I don't have a lot of faith in them signing good contracts and bringing in players that will actually complement. Like, they... Their, their move so far has been very, like, high risk. Mm-hmm. Perfect example, Hinjim Ryu. Mm-hmm. Could be really great, but has a ton of injury history. And there's a reason why he was willing to come to the Jays. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an insider. I don't know exactly what the options were out there for him. Um, I know how they've sold it to the fans. But if he can stay healthy, I mean, he's coming to the AL, so it's a whole different ball game. He can't, he can't possibly be as good as he was with the Dodgers, but he could be really good for the Jays or he could fall back into injury problems and this could be a complete wash. And I could legitimately see either one happening. That's true. And he's mid-30s as well. So it's not like he... Yeah. Spring so, and so. I feel like that's kind of their MO is they gamble and they they see what's going to stick against the wall. They're going to throw a lot against the wall and see what sticks kind of thing. And I I don't know. I'm very optimistic. I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic, but I don't love the regime. I feel really bad. <laughs> like I'm just slamming them here. No, no, but, uh, but I've me, been a long-standing Jays fan, so I'm I'm a little curmudgeonly when it comes to that. <laughs> a great word. Uh, tell me what you think about this. So, like, the, the, sort of the, maybe the issue with uh, Shapiro and Atkins coming in was the the Anthopolis at that point up until you know middle of the season the Jays and under him were were for what five years they weren't very good so they said okay we're gonna bring these new guys in Anthopolis was like you know what I might as well go for it why else I'm gonna be gone anyhow so he makes these great trades they make the playoffs mm-hmm. and then they get rid of him because they already had brought these other two guys in and then they were like okay we're still kind of competing so that second year they made the playoffs again went to the ALCS but I think the issue with the Shapiro and Atkins was more the messaging. I think by that third year, they were sort of kind of being like, like the, you know, people were still buying tickets and they weren't, they weren't uh, transparent with the fans. I think if they would have told the fans, we're rebuilding, this team just doesn't have it, it's, it's quite old now, we need to rebuild. I think if they were to be a bit more transparent, I think people would yeah. be fine with it. But because of the fact that, that they were sort of wishy-washy in terms of their plans and their thoughts, I think that's what rubbed up a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, they tried to play it off like we're still competitive when everyone knew they weren't competitive anymore. And that was one of the big issues that I had. They should have called it a day a lot sooner and actually gotten something for Josh Donaldson yes, and yes. you know, not paid Troy Tulowitzki eighty million dollars to go away. And like it was just misstep after misstep. Like barely got anything for Jay Hap. Like it's just it's one of those things where if they would have traded a lot of those guys sooner and had the foresight that I think a lot of fans did to know that okay, like Let's be honest, 2015 was the year. I'm really bad with dates. 2015 was when they lost in the ALCS to the Royals, correct? Yeah, that, that was okay. the, by far the, the, the better year, I would say. As that was, that year. was yeah. their yeah. year. And yeah. I still maintain yep. that if they would have played out the season, I think it was in New York. Were they in New York when they had their final series and they, they had a doubleheader they were playing and they gave up on the second game and just Baltimore. played all the scrubs? I think it was Baltimore. Baltimore was it Baltimore? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so they had a doubleheader. Yep. They played all the scrubs in the second game because they're like, we've already clinched. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. We're going to rest our guys. I think that if they would have gone for it mm-hmm. and gotten home field advantage for the playoffs and didn't have to go to KC in that stadium, which is tough to play in, um, and would have had home field advantage, I think they could have made it to the World Series. And then who knows what happens? Yeah. But to me, that was the year. 
The next yep. year, they were still competitive enough to make a go at it. But after 2016, you were done. Mm-hmm. Call it a day. Trade your guys away. Billy being the crap out of that team. And bring in some young guys, some talent, some whatever. Because I almost feel like now they have wasted the potential of Aaron Sanchez, the potential of Marcus Stroman. These young guys that could have been really good, they never put a good team around them, really. Like, I know they were part of the runs in 2015 and 16, but they were just coming in. They were young. Like, they were still going to be really good for a number of years. Like, Sanchez, who knows if he can stay healthy. But I still think they could have had potential to lead the team, and they could have been a part of something even better down the road. And instead, they end up just getting traded away, like, for nothing. So it's yeah, and the, it's frustrating. They're at least lucky they beat the Texas Rangers in that first series in 2015 because they went down 2-0. As opposed to O two, I hate when people say a team is down O two. That drives me insane. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're down two. Like, thank God they at least won that series and, and played against the Royals in, in the ALCS. Because, yeah, you're right. Like with, with them basically quitting the last four or five games of the year, essentially, and then losing home field advantage and all that stuff. If they would have gotten swept or lost that first round series, whole, or I guess second round series technically, because the wild card. Yeah. Round, uh, holy crap! Everyone just would have ripped them easily. Oh yeah, and they got a lot of luck on their on their side in the ALDS against the Rangers. Like, I mean, if there hadn't been, what was it? Two, three errors in that seventh inning three that in led row, to yeah. the bat flip. And I mean, I was there live for that game, which is still the best live sporting event oh, I've ever wow. been to, but they got some help in that seventh inning. So what a wild, the, 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 obviously the atmosphere was insane. Like uh, I can't even imagine being there. <laughs> like well, that, Especially that seventh inning. What, what it take like one hour to, to complete? It was wild. It literally went from, do I need to leave? Should I be concerned for my life? Because people are throwing things from the 500s bottles down to, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it was about to it just hit an home run. And we took the lead. This is crazy. Like it was such a uh, emotional swing. And if that hadn't happened, I actually worry for some people's safety. Because the yeah. way that things were going inside the dome, it was getting a little scary. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of uh, of safety and a team that didn't win the Blue Jays, to a team that did win the Raptors recently celebrating their uh, – good segue, by the way uh, – uh, Raptors, their uh, championship from last year. Were you at the, the parade with a bazillion people? I was, and it was horrific. I was not at the parade. I'm kind of oh, glad, glad I wasn't. Oh, I'm glad for you. I know a lot of people who – like, I mean, I think it would have been a really cool experience, but no, – really. um. I live, you know, it would have taken me from where I live. I live about an, it would take me an hour to get downtown and it just wasn't worth, uh, I don't like crowds. I don't like all that stuff. Like it's not, that's not for me. I'm happy to watch it from home. Oh, man, um, bad. but yeah, it was mishandled a little bit, oh, poor, a little, a little bit of poor planning on the city's part. <laughs> you think they would call, Hey Boston, by the way, you guys win a championship every single year. Yeah. You know how, how to deal with this? this. How do you handle that? Because yeah, I was there with my two buddies, Spiros and uh, Costa and it was fine for a while. We got there like, I don't know, like seven in the morning or something like that. But it was just, everyone was crammed in like sardines. You couldn't see. It was, uh, it was so hot. Like you, you couldn't go anywhere. You literally couldn't move because it was so crammed. And, then, and it was just so many. There's just a, a, a number of different things that uh, drove me insane. And finally, we left, but then no one wanted to let us leave, even though we were like, okay, hey, we're just going to go to the streets. And then, uh, you know, it was, it was just so hot. And 
I was trying to take a, a photo. Finally, the Raptors come by in the parade, and then my phone um, loses its uh, uh, storage. Oh, no. So here I am trying to fiddle around, deleting videos and uh, photos, oh, trying to. That's the I'm, worst. I'm, I'm missing the moment, of course. And then I was just like, super pissed because I had to go to work. And I was like, you know what, guys, I'm done here. I was just so annoyed with the whole thing. So I leave. And thank God my friends were okay because of the the couple shootings that uh, yeah I could have gotten oh the potential God. for like, that to get out of hand was there. Oh my goodness! Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, now the weather's been uh, a lot nicer. Golf season's back. I've been playing nonstop. Uh, how'd your game? Uh, I know you're uh, uh, started playing the last couple of years, right? Yes, I just I kind of just got a little more serious about it last year. I'd say last year was the first year. Like I went out and I got some good clubs and I took a couple lessons. I was like, okay, this is the year that I'm. I'm actually going to, I had some time because I went back to nights at work. So I had my days free and I'm like, this is the time. Like all the stars are lining up. So I committed to golfing like once a week and stuck with it through the whole summer. And I mean, I mean, you know how golf is just when you think you're like, okay, am I, I'm turning my game around. You have a really crappy round. <laughs> yeah. So it's still, it's still up and down, but I feel like it's getting better. I had my first round uh, a couple weekends ago, just went out for a quick nine because Right now, with the lack of childcare, it's difficult to. Uh, it's kind of hurting my ch- my golf game. Um, <laughs> but I thought I was going to be a complete tire fire, and it actually was a decent round. I carded my first birdie ever, which oh, was great. That's awesome. Very exciting. Um, so I'm actually going to head out to the driving range in about an hour and just hit some balls. But it's um, I love it. I hate the game yeah. all in one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those like, but it's just there's nothing better than just getting out on the course for a few hours. Like it's just it's so just it's so good for your mental health it's you just breathe so much easier for a few hours afterwards like it's just such a good way to spend a few hours and even if i never get any better which i hope i do um it's i'll still love just getting out there because it's just it's so nice to be able to just go golfing again i always say the the strongest four letter uh swear word is golf you know, not, yeah. the other one, not the F word, not the S word. No, no, no. It's golf because it just, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. I played a couple of weeks ago and I had the same, I played 36 holes in one day, came to 18 with the exact same score both times, played smart the first time and laid up to an easy, comfortable hundred yards from the green, mm. proceed to make a, put the ball in the water and make a triple bogey. The second time I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go with it over the water with a three wood. It makes no sense. It's a dumb move. And I hit the green two and I made birdie. And so it it's works. like it makes no sense that I played smart the first time and it screwed up and nothing is more frustrating golf trying to be smart and then going into trouble. And then the yeah. second time I was dumb and I, and I had a great result. It makes no sense. Golf is uh, is crazy. Well, I, I tend to overthink everything, which is not good in golf. And so I, I mostly shoot myself in the foot. I, I got to get better at just like... I think the best advice anyone's ever given me is just go hit the ball. Like don't think about it. Just go and hit the ball. Grip it and rip it. Yep. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. <laughs> like my hero, John Daly, says. Uh, well, thank you, Kara, uh, for being on the podcast. It was a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, you make some more birdies on the, on, on the course. And, uh, and uh, the goalposts will always change in golf. You know, you, you're, yeah. you're really good, and you think, okay, I'm shooting whatever, 90. Then then you, then you want to shoot 85. And then as soon as you start shooting 85, and you're like, oh, I want to shoot 80. So no matter what, it's a lifelong game that's frustrating, but we all love it because it's it's just the best. I agree. Hopefully I have an eagle in my future next and it's only up from there. So we'll see, but I appreciate you having me for sure. What an electric interview with Kara Wagland from TSN. She's a professional through and through and her hosting on the day of the tragic Roy Halliday death was top notch. Really enjoyed hearing her stories on her path to TSN. Plus her disdain for the Blue Jays front office was awesome. 
You can follow her on social media at Kara underscore Waglin on Twitter and Kara.Waglin on Instagram, where you can see those amazing recipes that she posts. Now, I'll be heading home near Ottawa, a.k.a. Arn Pryor, for a little while to see my family for the first time since Christmas, so I'm not sure if I'll still have an episode out a week. Who knows? Probably. That's the goal, but we shall see. If I don't post an episode for the week, please forgive me, but I'll be overwhelmed. Or rather, I hope to be just whelmed with doing some family stuff. Thank you for listening to episode 29 of the H-Dog Pod. Bye. This has been the H-Dog Pod with host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang.